0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio.
1: And online at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: we got a lot going on this week. Tax Day, Marathon, April's Day, Day, And get this guy's newspaper columnist day. I mean, it says it right here. Newspaper columnist day, April 18th. Now, you know, I think we'd all like to celebrate it, but hey, uh, Ron, are there any newspaper columnists anymore? I mean, better yet, are there any newspapers anymore?
3: Exactly yeah, right. Newspaper columnists say that's the day they all get laid off simultaneously.
4: <laughs> yeah, and in the last two years, I know of two newspapers that became a columnist later.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. well uh, hey, Ron, where are you? You sound like you're in uh, Fenway Park, deep behind the left field wall there. <laughs>
3: Yes, I, I wish I was Lansdowne Street. You're I on
2: Lansdowne Street. Hey, uh, I'm Goose, on Lansdowne um, Street. I'm
3: still running the marathon, actually. <laughs>
2: Good luck. Well, get in, get oh. in before it gets too dark. Would you please? Uh, so, Gooseman, which newspaper, is, past or present, do you want to celebrate?
4: Uh, the guy I grew up reading in Detroit, Jerry Green, he's one of a small handful of folks who have covered all Very 52 nice. Super bowls. He turned 90 last week, so a late happy wow. birthday to Jerry.
3: Wow. How about you, Ron? Uh, well, for me, it's Red Smith, the man who wrote that watching Willie Mays play center field was like eating strawberries in the wintertime. If you live in the Northeast, you know what a pleasure that is. So was Red Smith.
2: I feel that way watching Tom Brady, you know that? <laughs> Would you stop it? <laughs> Well anyway for write, me. And, and, writing a column for? The <laughs> Qatar News. <laughs> yeah. For me it's Tom Cushman of what was the San Diego Tribune and the reason is he hired me there and that's the best move I ever made. And Goose, by the way, Jerry Green, he always shows up at the Super Bowl. It's turned ninety, always shows up there. It's amazing. He's covering um, okay. Yeah, he has. Um, well consider that our way of celebrating Newspaper Columnist Day. Now let's celebrate what's ahead of us today. And that's Rams Special Teams coordinator John Fossil to talk about where the NFL is going. With kickoffs, draft expert Dane Brugler at NFLDraftScout.com. He's going to give us another look inside next week's draft. New England offensive lineman David Andrews to talk about the University of Georgia and its impact on the NFL. And former Hall of Fame voter Mike O'Hara to run down the best Detroit Lions, not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Speak of David Andrews quickly here in the Patriots. What's going on with Rob Gronkowski? Where is he?
3: <laughs> well, if Rob knew what was going on, he'd tell me and then I'd tell you. It looks like what's going on is A, he wants to get paid, and D, he's suffering from the Belichick flu, tired and worn out.
2: Well, tell him hello there on Lansdowne Street, would you please? Uh, <laughs> if he ever hear shows, more I will. The, we'll hear more about the paths, the lines, and the draft coming up. But first, you're going to hear from our sponsors. You're listening to the talk of.
0: the Talk of Name Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we want to wish friend of the show and Hall of Famer Jim Kelly a
2: speedy recovery. As you may know, Jim underwent a 12-hour surgery in New York City recently, and last weekend, he was released from the hospital. Now, that was his third surgery in five years for oral cancer, and really, it's a testament to his strength that he keeps bouncing back. Of course, Ron, that's no surprise to anyone who knows Jim Kelly.
3: Yeah, you're right. I mean, he was always a linebacker in quarterback clothing. Uh, in fact, that's what Joe Paterno wanted him to be. Uh, he played the quarterback like a linebacker. He lived like a linebacker. and Now he's fighting cancer that way, too, so... Uh, um You know, we wish him all the best. Uh, Some of the news sounds pretty good, but, you know, in a way, it just seems like uh, one too many tough breaks for a very tough guy.
2: Yeah, right, absolutely. But anyway, nothing but encouraging news about Jim Kelly. Hope to hear more of it, and um, anyway, hope to hear more in the future. But Gooseman, he wasn't the only notable player to be released within last week. You know what? Your Dez Bryant was, too, by the Dallas Cowboys. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not really sure I understand it, so want to bring you in here. Can you tell us why they let him walk? Was it a contract issue? Personality clash with what he calls Garrett's guys? What was it? And, and where do you think he might land?
4: Keep it simple. The Cowboys gave Bryant a five-year contract as their lead receiver in 2015 for $70 million with $45 million of it guaranteed. In the three seasons since signing that contract, he's not managed a 1,000-yard season, and he scored only 17 touchdowns. That's one fewer touchdowns than he scored in his contract year alone in 2014. Mm. He turns 30 this season, he remains an unpolished route runner, and he has no chemistry with their present and future quarterback, Dak Prescott. His arrow was pointing down, so it was time for the Cowboys to move on.
2: Wow, unpolished route runner. Ron, I guess that means he won't land in New England anytime soon.
4: <laughs> well, generally
3: you would think so, but these are uh, strange times in Foxborough. Uh yeah, they you know, they could use it yeah, they I probably use a you know, receiver. Uh they have about two with the boat. Um uh, and if Dez is willing to work for free, keep his mouth shut, and take a pile of crap to the coach, he'll be in the right spot at the right time.
4: He might but want to check, check with Chad you Johnson first. <laughs> yeah. He's willing to do any of those things.
2: Hey, Ron, I'd love to hear you from the scoreboard there in left field in Fenway Park. Just put up a five in the third <laughs> inning or fourth inning for the, for the Red Sox, would you please? Just, they're scoring runs like crazy. Just put up a five there. It doesn't make a difference. Um, and you know what? And, and speaking of your Patriots, Ron, um, linebacker James Harrison, who finished the season with the Patriots last year, he won't be playing for them again. Or for anyone, for that matter, it looks like he announced his retirement this week. And because we're a Hall of Fame show with Hall of Fame guys, Logical question, is he on anyone's Hall of Fame radar? I mean, let's look at it, guys. Five Pro Bowls, four All-Pro teams, Defensive Player of the Year award, and two Super Bowl victories. So, Goose, got to ask the question. What do you think?
4: I think if outside linebackers Maxie Bond, Andy Russell, Mike Curtis, Joe Fortunato, Clay Matthews, and Wilbur Marshall can't even get into the room to be discussed as Hall of Fame finalists, Harrison shouldn't reserve any hotel rooms in Canton anytime soon. It's tough to sell an outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme with fewer than 100 sacks.
2: Goose, I'll take that as a no, correct? Correct. All right. Ronnie? <laughs> well, I, I didn't agree with Goose, but I, I will say this.
3: It's always hard to ignore that Defensive Player of the Year uh, uh, award when, he, when, uh, when a guy gets it. You know, it puts you in a different class. Um, and so did that 100-yard interception return in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, if he can add in an all-decade uh, selection somehow, uh, you know, then, then you know he he would have at least a shot. Um, but you know, I, I just think in the end he's going to be one of those guys that will get yelled at by various you know guys with blown hair dudes on television when he
2: doesn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> because,
3: because they got video. They got good video on him. Therefore, he's a hall of fame.
2: There you go. Well, that's the way it works. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because my, my guess is what hurts him, uh, as Goose mentioned numbers of things, but are his sack numbers. He had 84.5. That's 53rd. It's not as many as O.C. Um It's not as many as, as some other guys that uh, you wouldn't consider a Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, and yet he was a pure pass rusher. He wasn't a two-way player like, say, I mean Kevin Green really was, even though people say he wasn't, but he was. And, and he still managed to pile up more career sacks, than everyone but Bruce Smith and Reggie, Reggie White. And he's the third greatest of all time. Yet it took Kevin Green 12 years to get into Canton, and he had nearly twice as many sacks. He had 160 as James Harrison Goose, who had, as I said, 84 and a half.
4: Well, Harrison went to five Pro Bowls. That's as many as Green went to. He was an NFL Defensive Player of the Year, as was Green. But Harrison won two more championships in Green. And made one of the five greatest plays in Super Bowl history, like Ron mentioned, that 100 yard interception return for a touchdown against Kurt Warner and the Cardinals. Harrison, his career deserves consideration, but I think he'll come up short.
3: Well, you know, I I would say this I I agree with with, uh, Goose, and I I think Clark's in the same boat. You know, I really don't see it that way, but you all know what's going to happen five years from now when the nitwits will start yelling, first ballot, Alabama, what's wrong with the first ballot all of Fame! And So we cannot discount the power of the nitwits. They're taking yep, right, over the world, right. and they're trying, to take, <laughs> they're trying to take over the Hall of Fame. So there will be pressure that will come down uh, because of some of the things he has and because you can play those videos where he's knocking out this guy and squatting 550 pounds, which neither of which makes you a Hall of Famer, but right. makes for good TV.
2: Plus you'll see that 100-yard Return about a thousand times over, before. And over, oh, by the
3: time we're done, we'll, it'll
2: seem like he 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 ran across the Great Sahara to get to the, <laughs> the end zone. Hey, hey, uh, guys! Uh, one more Hall of Fame item of note. Uh, I see we're a friend of the show and Hall of Famer Troy Aikman, also a friend of Rick Gosselin's, wants to go beyond TV to something more challenging, and that's something it looks like is a GM job or something involving NFL teams. Gooseman, you know him. If you owned a franchise, would you consider him as a possible GM?
4: Well, he's a bright guy, you know, and he's seeing what fellow Hall of Famers, Ozzie Newsman, John Elway have done, and he wants that opportunity. You know, but the football world thought that Matt Millen was a can't miss in the front office, and he missed. You know, he may want that opportunity, and I think Peyton Manning's also in the queue. I think he wants that opportunity, but an NFL team will have to take a leap of faith to hire either one of those guys. Is
2: that a yes or no, Goose?
4: Depends how desperate the franchise is. <laughs>
2: Well, it's not often we have a punter place kicker that we're pushing for the Hall of Fame, but that's exactly what our Rick Gosselin did this week when he made an argument and a compelling one for Sam Baker on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com. Now, Goose, I remember Sam when he was with the Redskins. That was the late 50s, and I thought he was pretty good. But you think he's more than pretty good. You think he's Hall of Fame worthy. You want to tell us why?
4: Yeah, in an era before football specialization, Sam Baker was a specialist. In the era of 33-player rosters, when teams could not devote a spot to any such kicking specialists, Position players like quarterback George Blanda and offensive tackle Lou Groza had a double up with kicking duties. But the Washington Redskins did devote a roster spot to Sam Baker to handle their punting and kicking chores. He was a pioneer, a player whose foot made him as valuable to his NFL team as any ability to run, block, catch, or tackle. He spent 14 seasons handling the place kicking, and punting chores for four NFL teams, scoring 977 points and averaging 42.6 yards per punt. But the role of Baker, Ben Agajanian, Tommy Davis, and Danny Villanueva played at the front end of the kicking specialization has been lost in the pages of history. Canton has shown no love for the original specialists. Baker led the NFL with 17 field goals in 1956 and led the league in scoring with 77 points in 1957. In 1958, he led the NFL in punting with a 45-4 average. He followed that up with a career-best 45.5-yard average to the Redskins in 59. And the Redskins traded him to the Browns in 1960 because they wanted to replace the retiring Lou Groza. He spent two seasons in Cleveland, two more with the expansion Dallas Cowboys before ending his career with Philadelphia. He led the NFL in conversion kicks with both Cleveland and Dallas. He also set a franchise record for the Cowboys with his 45.4-yard punting average in 1962, a record that would stand for 44 years. But as the roster size increased in the 1960s, more and more kicking specialists started turning up. Jim Bakken, Fred Cox, and Bruce Gossett joined Baker and Davis as place kickers, and Bobby Joe Green, David Lee, Billy, B- Billy Lothridge, and Bobby Walden joined them as Punters. Then came the wave of soccer-style kickers, Pete Gogolak, Jan Stenerud, Gary Yopremian, and these specialists were no longer viewed as luxuries but rather as necessities, and the pioneers were forgotten. Sam Baker went to four Pro Bowls. That's one more than Adam Vinatieri, the NFL's second all-time leading scorer. Baker deserves to be more than just a footnote in the NFL history book.
3: Okay, Goose, Sam Baker has more Pro Bowl selections, as you point out, than Adam Vinatieri. So which one gets the Hall of Fame boot?
4: We know Vinatieri's going in. What we don't understand is that Baker deserves some consideration well before this. Well,
2: I don't know if Sam Baker belongs in the Hall, but I do know there are plenty of Detroit Lions guys who do. And former Hall of Fame voter Michael O'Hara, yep, he's going to tell us which ones he likes most when we return from commercial. Nice job, guys. This is the Talk Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: Well, as you should know by now, we're touring the NFL this year for what we call our best not in Canton series. We make stops in all 32 NFL cities and talk to past and present Hall of Fame voters about the most glaring emissions from each of their towns, and we do it alphabetically. So this week, we're in Goose's hometown of Detroit. Ron, you want to towel him off right there? Towel off the Goose, man. He's a storm.
4: <laughs> <Yes. on>. Can't <laughs> forget I'm the Motor City race.
2: To visit with our friend, Mike O'Hara, a longtime beat writer covering the Lions and also a former Hall of Fame voter. Hey, Mike, welcome
5: back. Well, so you mentioned Canton, by the way. I'm seven miles from the Mich- different Detroit suburb of Canton, Michigan, so <laughs> as close as I'll ever get. <laughs>
4: Hey, Mike, the Lions haven't won a championship in 50 years, one of only four franchises that have never been to a Super Bowl. So the Hall of Fame pickings have been slim in recent decades. But who, in your opinion, is Detroit's most glaring omission from Canton?
5: Well, first of all, they haven't won a championship in 61 years, but thanks for making it seem better. Uh, I I think there are three we talked about. it. One would be Alex Kyrgios. One would be uh, Calvin Johnson. But I also think the strongest case can be made for uh, for the late Buddy uh, Parker, the coach. Just what he did in Detroit and what he did in Pittsburgh. You can demonstrate at his looking at his record that he made both franchises better, and they weren't as good after he left. Yes, of course. You know, I think
3: he comes up from time to time. It always comes up, uh, uh, you know, in the senior committee. But he never seems to get out of it. One of only uh, three all-decade defensive tackles from the '60s, not in. More career sacks uh, than Warren Sapp. How much do you think the gambling suspension is what stopped him? Well,
5: it certainly hurt him more than it hurt Paul Horning, who got suspended the same year for the same thing. On the other hand, what does Paul Horning have? Four or five of those championship rings, and Alex Karras didn't have any. Look, Karras was a terrific player, and I can tell you a little story that I wasn't there for myself, but some uh, guys I know who were there for uh, old-time football writers, uh, told me this, that they were just sitting around and like we are right now, and one of the people in the conversation was was, was Don Shula. And it wasn't one of those set-up questions where do you believe so-and-so should be in the Hall of Fame. The question to Shula was, he'd been a former defensive uh, coach with the Detroit Lions, the question put to Shula was, who do you think who should be in the Hall of Fame who isn't? And he said, according to what these people told me, without hesitation, Alex Karras. Uh, this was after Shula had left Detroit, obviously, and Karras had been retired for a while. You know, his last season was 1970. I think that that really speaks volumes for uh, for Karras's, you know, candidacy. I don't know if he ever really was a candidate, you know. But but I think uh, I, to me, it's an omission. You look at what he did, what he accomplished. You know, the Pro Bowls, uh, the first team All Pro three times, uh, stuff like that. It, I don't see why he's not in. But then there are a lot of guys who I don't see why they're not in.
2: Yeah, I know I agree with you. And I think that the senior committee probably, and Goose and, and uh, Ron are on that, need to take that up at some point because I do think the gambling hurts him. But uh, as Goose mentioned to me once, he said he owned Jerry Kramer, you know, and, and Jerry Kramer's now in the Hall of Fame. But Alex Garris isn't. Uh,
5: deservedly um, so, too, you know. And look, at, this yeah, the, there, right. there are, I, I think there are favored franchises, and, and there's a reason for that. They win a lot. Of, I think the Packers are one of them. Maybe Jerry Kramer didn't feel that way until he got voted in this year, but. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers—the guys that get voted—and they and, they and they complain about the guys who aren't in. It. And they've got you know they got a whole wing there. They've got they've got two owners <laughs> yeah. who are in the That's Hall of right. Fame. How many owners do you need to be in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> well,
2: you, you know, I, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned Buddy Parker because he's a guy wrote about on our website, TalkOfFameNetwork.com, and and I pushed for it in the Hall of Fame. But um, he won two NFL titles coaching the Lions in the '50s. Quit on the eve of the '57 season, and lo and behold, Lions went on to win the third championship of that decade. My question to you is: We know all that. Had he stayed, had he stayed in Detroit? Do you think he'd already be enshrined in Canton? And is he? Well, he'd have won. He yeah, he has won his
5: be... third championship. Absolutely. Yeah, Why so not? You, so you think? there are some compelling stats on his behalf that, that might bore you to death. But you know, when Buddy Parker got there in 1951, he went seven four and one, then he went nine and three, 10 and two, nine and two, then a stink-out season of three and nine, and then nine and three again his last year. And left and left a championship team, but more than that, look at the look at the years before he was there. Okay, six and six, four and eight, two and ten, three and nine, one and ten. You mean he didn't make a difference in that franchise? Yeah. The statistics the statistics tell the story more than I can. And the years after he's gone, four and seven, three and eight, seven and five, the guy made a difference. He was a winner. He was a winning coach.
4: Yeah, Mike, why do you walk?
5: Why do I walk?
4: Why did he walk? Why did he walk before the fifty seventh oh, season? You know what I think he you was part of the team.
5: I think he might have had a couple of pops <laughs> in him. He was at a uh, back in those days at, at the old the Book Cadillac Hotel in downtown Detroit. Now it's open get under some other name. They would have a, a preseason uh, media party to you know kick off the season, and up in one of the rooms, half of or I shouldn't say half, but a group of his players were up getting loaded, and he came down and they, you know, what he saw kind of bothered him, and he got up to the podium and said, I can't control this team anymore. He and quit. And then George Wilson, his right-hand aide, became the head coach, and they went to uh, 84 and, and won the championship. <laughs> and he did the same thing in Pittsburgh, by the way, that he did in Detroit without winning a championship. He made that team better. I mean, they were horrible for so long, and we kind of forget about that. But before Buddy Parker got there, and, you know, and traded for Bobby Lane and all that, they couldn't win games. They won games, at least broke even with Buddy Parker, something they couldn't do before he was there. They had a hard time doing after until Chuck Noll got it, got there.
4: Okay, Mike, you sold us. Let's go to a more recent line. Calvin Johnson. Is
5: <laughs> there's not eligible yet. His window isn't open until 2021. Okay. Hmm? What? I wait, said wait. there's nothing more recent in Detroit than 1957, but we'll move <laughs> on for <to> the benefit <laughs> of this show.
4: <laughs> okay, Mike, is is he a first ballot Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer, or a guy going to find himself on the bubble because of the length of his career?
5: Uh... I think you can make a case for both. It just depends on what case you want to make and what argument you want to use. Does Carroll Owens getting in on a short career, does that help him? I don't know. That's you know it depends on which way you're you know, which way you're going. Look, at his best, he was the best receiver in pro football, the most dangerous receiver. He didn't catch hundred and forty passes a game or anything like that, but he changed the way defenses played him the same way. Barry Sanders, as a running back, changed the way the defenses played him. You asked the quarterbacks who were here with Calvin Johnson, it was almost useless to look at game film because they would never see that defense again. It was a special defense for Calvin Johnson, and it was one for everybody else. And he had you know, some terrific numbers. I mean, look, the second year he led the league in touchdown catches with 12. He had three seasons with 12 touchdown catches. One was 16 he had a 2012 season where he set the record of 1,964 receiving yards. This was before everybody was catching, you know, 1,500, 1,600 yards a season. So do I think he belongs? Yes. Do I think he'll get it easily? No, I don't. I think it's going to be hard.
3: Do you think that's because of the length of his
5: career or because of the fact that they didn't have a hell of a lot of success? Well, I mean, I think it's more the length of his career. If you look at but there are a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame who didn't have great success. What about Cortez Kennedy? He was the defensive MVP in a season when the Seahawks went two and fourteen. They were still the Seahens in those days, mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to hold against a great player what his team does around him. Uh, you know, he sort of you know came along at a time when the Lions were starting to get re- you know revived a little bit. But he's so far down on the all-time lists in terms of touchdowns. In terms of catches, in terms of receiving yards, he's not going to gain. Obviously, he's going to he's going to continue to sink. So by the time he's eligible in two years, and then maybe you know five more years after that when he gets sealed, and when he keeps keeps not getting voted in, he's going to be like in the top forty and everything. Is that a Hall of Famer? I think as a player, it is. They're not Hall of Fame stats.
2: Yeah, I, I'm with you, Mike. I, I'm with you on this guy, and I wrote about him too. But I'm with you. On people say, "Well, he didn't win championships." Well, tell me how many championships Randy Moss and Terrell Owens won.
5: As many as... Right, absolutely. Uh, Randy Moss, to me, was a a slam dunk. Terrell Owens, you can have him or not have him, in my opinion. But but Randy Moss, great player. If you talk to the guys who played with Randy Moss, he wasn't a bad teammate. He wasn't a bad guy. He just had some issues in public, but not with his football teams.
2: Okay, now let me ask you the (laughs) $64,000 question here. Does it hurt his Hall of Fame candidacy... That he only finished third in his season on Dancing with the Stars, whereas fellow wide receivers Donald Driver and Hans Heinz Ward. they won the coveted mirror ball Trophy, and Jerry Rice. Well, Jerry finished second, so you know he only finished third. Calvin Johnson—that hurt his chances.
5: No. Well, Warren Sapp finished second. Okay, He's <laughs> Hall of Fame, but he was in the uh, he was in the big man's division, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> he was so in the player division. division. We'll, we'll, we'll find out in two years. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I don't see Donald Driver getting in the Hall of Fame.
5: Cool. Hey Mike, what about hear, Roger I, I want to hear Peter King's retort on that one.
2: <laughs>
5: yeah, right. I, hey I, Mike. Maybe time, it, time it for me.
4: <laughs> Mike, what about what about Roger Brown?
5: I'm glad Just... you brought that up because I was on the seniors committee one time, uh, they meet once a year, I think it's is it in it's in Canton? Yep.
4: Right.
5: And 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 the the senior vote was tied. There was a tie for the, for the last senior. They, they voted two, and it was a tie between Claude Humphrey and Roger Brown. And I think if Roger Brown would have won the vote, he would have gotten into the Hall of Fame. And and the only thing I said is, look, Claude Humphrey's been on the regular ballot a billion times. He keeps keeps getting voted out. Let's get some fresh blood. The vote was four to one for Claude Humphrey. I changed my vote to make it unanimous and I don't regret doing that. But he was close and, you know, he was, he was drafted out of Maryland State, I think it was. It was now Maryland Eastern Shore, whatever the name of the school is now. And Roger Brown, people will tell you that he was probably the first big, quick defensive lineman in pro football. Now there was, you know, less bingham than 340 pounds back in the 50s. But when, when Roger Brown came along in the you know, 60s and 70s, he was a 305 pound man who could run. He was different. And that 1962 destruction of the Green Bay Packers, 13-1 season, probably the greatest team in NFL history, he, was, he led the rush that sacked Bart Starr 11 times. I've gone and I read the play-by-play. And according to my eyes, he was in on seven sacks. Other people have said six. Take your pick.
2: That was a Hall of Fame performance. I'm taking my pick here, Mike. We've got to go to commercial. Thanks so much for the time. And good luck snapping that 61-year-old, not 50, 61-year-old championship draft. Thanks. Mark. You
5: know what? I think I'm going to make, when I leave the building, I'm going to make a left and go to Canton and get some Chinese food. <laughs> <Good> Chinese, <laughs> of course. Good idea. Thanks,
2: Mike. thanks, Mike. Hi, hey, Mike.
5: Thanks for having me.
2: Yep. That was former Hall of Fame voter Mike O'Hara. Now, a columnist with DetroitLions.com. Up next is Rams special teams coordinator John Fossil. You're listening to the Talk Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, at its annual winter meetings, the NFL last month moved closer
2: to eliminating kickoffs, with the league telling its competition committee to find a way to make kickoffs safer, otherwise face their elimination. Now, that's a pretty bold step, and it's one that has enormous implications for the game. So we reached out to the Rams special teams coordinator, John Fossil, who is one of the very best, if not the best, in the business. In fact, Rick Gossin tells me he's the king of special teams. Anyway, we reached out to John to find out where this is headed. And, John, um, you saw what happened at last month's league meetings. So what do you think? Are we headed
6: toward the elimination of the kickoff? I I do not think so. Um, And, obviously, I'm biased, and maybe that's some hope talking but I do believe that we are headed toward something that will make the kickoff um, adapted into something a little bit different, but I, I, I don't see the elimination of it at all. Um, but I do see it having to be adapted more towards, you know, something maybe a little bit different. And uh, there's a lot of uh, ideas that have been thrown out there that are a lot of good ones that will keep it a football play, um, but I, I don't see it being eliminated.
4: What's your favorite I, idea?
6: What's my favorite idea?
4: Yep. Um, There's been a lot of really
6: unique ones. Um, You know, there's been some where they've floated it out there where the kickoff team starts closer to the goal line, let's say on the other side of the 40 or, you know, on the other side of the 50 at the 40 or 35-yard line, and everybody goes on a catch or you go on a ball in hand where you basically eliminate... The 30 to 40 yards of running, where you get some of those high-speed collisions, and you turn it more into a hands and shoulders, close quarters combat type play, instead of the what it is now is you know a lot of fast guys out there with a lot of space, and um, that's where you get some some pretty good collisions. So there's been a lot. I wish I could sit down with you and write up on the board. But um, I think there's a lot of possibilities floated that you can adapt the kickoff into a really cool football play so you still have that play in the game.
2: Hey, John, I'll be honest with you. You surprised me by saying you don't think that's going to happen. And, and a lot of people are saying they do think it's going to happen. Then you look at something like that, Alliance of American Football, which is going to start up next year. They're going to do away with it. So why don't you think it's going to happen? What, what makes you feel that it's still going to be around?
6: Well, I mean, I think – Traditionally, for however many years football has been played, it's, it's a it's a critical part of the game. You know, even if I wasn't coaching special teams, I would think, you know, how do you get rid of the kickoff? I mean, it starts the game, it starts the half. You know, what do you do after a score? It's a it's a huge phase of the game. You know, from a special teams coaches and players perspective, there's a ton of schematics and technique and you know unique skills required to To play on those phases of the game. And if you just cut those basically two phases out, if you cut out kickoff, you're cutting out kickoff a turn. You know, you're also cutting out a lot of really unique football players that have really certain skills that are really good for that phase of the game. And, you know, what do you, what do you, if you eliminate it, then you just start offense and defense on the 25 yard line. And um, I just think that it's a really unique. I'm biased obviously but it's a special you know football play that has a lot of historical elements to it and a lot of really unique football players that kind of make their make their hay on those phases of the game so I just uh, I I think no doubt it's going down the road of you know there's got to be some adaptations to it but I just I just can't wrap my head around or fathoming that that's going to be taken away
4: John, several years ago, we had Bruce DeHaven on with us, and he told us the way the league was going, it would one day phase out special teams coaches. Was he right? Do you think that's happening? Are we getting closer to that?
6: Cash, I, I don't feel like it. <laughs> and I sure hope not. You know, you know I'm, I guess I'm making a pitch for it, but special teams is, you know, it's truly one-third of the game. There's 35 snaps a game. On special teams, and there's you know 65 or so snaps a game on offense and defense. So it's you know special teams isn't going away, but I know that there's always going to be changes that are you know that are made, like like going to the two man wedge on kickoff return and eliminating three, four, and five man wedges was a great rule change, and you know we adapted to that and it ended up being a, a great decision. So I always think there's there's ways you can change some certain rules or make some adaptations again and we'll play along and we'll adapt to it and and make it a really cool play but you know you get rid of special teams coaches or special teams players um, I just I I don't feel like it's going that route and I have heard and read that some things are going that route I just can't imagine that the the kicking game is going to be Um, phased out i just i just can't imagine that
4: our special teams still a third of the game i think so you know I, i look back at our season and
6: we had you know a kickoff return for touchdown to open the game it was a huge play in the game we had a turnover in the playoff game on kickoff return that was a huge play in the game there's you know there's gosh four or five games a year where a play on that phase of the game, whether it's a score or a turnover, you know, or a surprise onside kick or things that happen that really are game changers. Um, and if you, if you lose that element of it, then, then it becomes, you know, a, a two-phase game, which is, I don't know, I just, I just don't see it going that way. So I'm, I'm against the thought of the kicking game being phased out, um, I think the kickoff, kickoff return is a beautiful play in football. Um, it looks like a whole bunch of guys run wild, but there's so much, you know, meeting room time spent on how to separate from blocks, how to use your shoulders to block, how to use your shoulders to tackle. And special teams require so much, you know, tackling and blocking technique that I think that carries over into offense and defensive play. And makes offense and defensive players better because of some of the techniques that are required on special teams. Um, a lot of the coaches and players have become really good at using their hands on kickoff, using their shoulders to tackle, using their shoulders to block. So we're teaching um, techniques that are taking the head element out of the game when it comes to tackling and blocking. And I do believe, you know, we get a lot of young players on the special teams' phases of the game, and when we can teach them the right tackling and blocking techniques as they grow into offensive and defensive starters, I think it makes them better football players. The NCAA just made a a,
3: a quizzical sort of move. Uh, They passed a rule uh, that says you can catch a ball inside the 25-yard and have it be called a touchback, which seems to redefine
6: the the term touchback. Um, What do you think of that rule, and does it make any sense to you at all? I mean, the only thing they're trying to do is just create more touchbacks and, you know, less action plays in that phase of the game. Really, the only choice that leads you on kickoff, if you want to cover them, is you just got to hard squib it and hope it doesn't go in the end zone or out of bounds. Um, but then you're getting uh, a pretty chaotic kickoff, kickoff return where you're going to get tacklers and blockers coming from all kinds of different angles, which can sometimes be um, a collision course for, you know, different types of hits. So, you know, going that route, they're just trying to eliminate more football plays. And, you know, that one kind of came out of the blue for me, so I don't I don't know the reasoning behind it. Um, I would be obviously against that because uh, it just eliminates another football play. And if you do that in the NFL, then, you know, you don't need to dress 46 guys. You can dress 42 because you don't need special teams players. And, you know, I don't know how that would be a factor, but um, I sure hope the NFL doesn't do it. I'm looking forward to hearing about some of the changes that are proposed, and I'll be very willing and very excited to implement those and, and keep the football play in regards to kickoff and kickoff return, a major part of the game. But does
3: all of this uh, sort of minimize the value, if they go through with these things, minimize the value of a strong-legged kicker?
6: I, I Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, the strong-legged kicker is always going to be valuable for the field goals, and if you don't have a strong-legged kicker for kickoff, then there's strategy involved where, you know, how do you kick it, where do you kick it, you know, for your kickoff cover element. So, you know, you got a strong leg kicker, you can just hit touchbacks really as much as you want. But again, you know, behind closed doors, it looks like there's just a lot of guys running wild, but there is a lot of of strategy covering kickoff, a lot of strategy returning kickoff, and a ton of technique being taught to be good tacklers and separators from blockers, and a lot of technique and time spent on, you know, blocking in space using good technique. Um, so I don't know how that will affect kickers as much, you know, because it will always be, you know, needed to put points on the board. But it'll eliminate, you know, what you do on kickoff if you, if you change some of the rules where it's just always a touchback, then the kickoff specialist, you know, becomes less important. And it's, and it's fun to be able to evaluate kickoff specialists, you know, when you're playing an opponent because they're all different, and that's part of the weekly prep as a kickoff return coach. You know, how does the guy kick? Where does he kick it? You know, evaluate all 10 players covering it and come up with a plan to try to defeat it. It's just such a fun part of the game.
2: Uh, John, and we're speaking to Rams Special Teams Coordinator John Fossil on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at com. But, uh, John, just wondering, uh, in, sort of following up on Ron's question, what do you think about Nick Saban's idea? He talked about moving kickoffs back to the 40, I mean, that's going the other direction.
6: Uh, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, you know, I just actually read that today, so I didn't hear that until I just read it randomly today. And, you know, that... I, I kind of liked that idea compared to being able to fair catch a ball in the field to play and make it an automatic touchback. Cause if, if you want to hit touchbacks, then you put it at the 40 and you just bang it out of the end zone and that takes care of touchbacks. But if special teams and, you know, is important to you and you think you have an advantage field position wise, then you put it at the 40 and you pop some kicks up, you know, inside the five yard line and then you play football then that's a strategic element of the game where if you think you have an advantage that you can, you know, pin the opposing offense at the 16-yard line, you know, as as opposed to giving it the 25, you know, that's the first down that the offense is behind when they take over possession. So I just think that the kickoff element of the game has a huge part in football, whether it's scoring in the kickoff return, getting takeaways on kickoff cover, or simply field position advantages, where if you feel you would have that, that you'd still have the opportunity to use it. Um, So when I saw the saving thing, I thought, well, that's a pretty good rule. You know, in pros, any kicker could probably hit a touchback from the 40. But you still have the opportunity to cover if you could keep the ball in play with a little bit of a bloop kick. And, you know, teams would probably go both ways on that based on what they think of the opponent kickoff return. If they think they're good, they're probably going to bang it away. If they think they're bad, they're probably going to bloop it and make them bring the ball out. So, um, I just think the, you know, having the opportunity to, to keep the, keep it a football play and make your own decision whether you want to hit a touchback or make the opponent return it is, It's a good part of the game.
2: Fossil, thanks so much for the time. I know these are busy days for you guys, but thanks so much. And and please, please give our best to your dad.
6: I will. You bet. Thanks, guys. Thanks,
2: John. You got it, John. Thanks, John. That was Graham Special Teams Coordinator John Fossil. Up next, it's the two-minute drill.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: we're just about out of time for the first half of this program, so Robert, sound that whistle. That's the two-minute warning. Yes, sir, that means we're on to the two-minute drill, and I have this week's question, so guys, let's get started. Why do we love mock drafts when so many of them are wrong?
4: So many of them. How about all of them? There's never been a perfect mock in the history of mocks.
3: And that's why we love them, in the hope that someone is stupider than we are.
2: (laughs) I don't think that's possible. Uh, The NFL has outlawed 10 helmet styles that perform poorly in lab tests. Now, Tom Brady's helmet was one of them. So what should he wear?
4: With all the Rose Protecting quarterbacks today, I'm not sure he'll need one. (laughs) I suggest he wear something that's not deflated.
2: (laughs) If Saquon Barkley is the best player in the draft, why won't he be the first player chosen in the draft?
4: Because he runs with the football, not throw it.
2: Exactly.
3: Because without a quarterback, you are dead. Even if Jim Brown is your running back, and
2: Saquon Barkley is no Jim Brown. Over 200 million eggs have been recalled. What bad eggs should the NFL recall?
4: The 11 members of the NFL Competition Committee leave the game alone.
2: Agreed. Start with the Nimrods who came up with
3: this new eliminate the head rule. <laughs>
2: that works for us, doesn't it? Nimrod. <laughs> Adidas says it will sign Colin Kaepernick when an NFL team signs him. When's that?
4: After some team signs Johnny Manziel to an NFL contract.
3: I can tell you exactly when. It will be on the 12th. The 12th of never.
2: True or false? Don Brady is leading a revolt versus Bill Belichick.
4: True. After losing three Super Bowls together, they're growing tired of each other.
2: (laughs) False. Don Brady isn't
3: leading
4: anything, including a game-winning drive in the Super Bowl. Oh.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What are the chances Josh Rosen slides in this month's draft?
4: Slide to where? The third overall pick? The fourth overall pick? The fifth overall pick? Where?
2: Depends
3: on the definition of slide. He he (laughs) will not go as
2: far as Marino went. Color rush uniforms are going away. Like it or loathe it.
4: Like the fact they're going away. Loathe the color combinations they were offered up.
3: The only people who don't loathe those uniforms play slow pitch softball on Sundays.
4: <laughs> Eric Reed, Andy Reed, Lou Reed, or Donna Reed? Potential first ballot Hall of Famer Ed Reed. <laughs> Very good.
2: Donna Reed was hot. Eric Reed is not. That's the end of the match. That's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are. We're going to hear from draft expert Dane Bruegler, Patriots offensive lineman David Andrews, and the University of Georgia in our second hour. So don't go away. You listen to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio.
1: And online at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the Oriani Auto Parts Studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, along with
2: Rick and Ron. And soon we'll be joined by NFL draft expert Dane Brugler and former Georgia star and now New England Patriots offensive lineman David Andrews. But before we do, I want to mention, as we do every year at this time, guys, that this weekend we have the Pat Tillman 4.2-mile run and walk. It's on Saturday, April 21st. It's in Tempe, Arizona. And as always... It sold out. Now, the run raises funds to support the Pat Tillman Foundation's Tillman Scholars Program. But, of course, as you guys know, it does more than that. It honors the memory of one of the great people, I think, associated with the NFL, a young man who died on April 22nd, 2004, when he was killed by friendly fire in Afghanistan. Ron, you remember
6: him?
3: Sure. I mean, it's a a sad story. We've had Dave McGinnis, his coach, go on and talk very movingly about uh, that and about you know, that day. And it's a guy, as we all know, you know, put his country ahead of himself, as there's a lot of young men and women doing that every day. Of course. Uh, and unfortunately, he paid the ultimate price. And I think what made it even more unusual uh, is not only that he had this multi million dollar contract and, and, and really didn't have to go, uh, even after he went, he had the opportunity to not go back that's right. uh, and chose to go back a second time. And, uh, because. Yep. And when asked why, he said, because you know, that's what he signed up for. Yeah, and, that's right. And he was, you know, that says a lot about who he was.
2: Well, you know, several years ago, Chris Collins were suggested he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Pat Tillman. And I think we all said, uh, mm, not so fast. I mean others died in military action, and they weren't inducted. But, Goose, I'll be honest with you now. I think I'm beginning to change my mind simply because of, of, of what he taught us about the ultimate sacrifice, as Ron said. And he walked away from millions. He didn't have to go there. He fought somewhere else for someone else. And, and it's so downright to me gut-wrenching and so poignant. And as Ron said, he went back a second time. And I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, I think this is just the kind of guy the Pro Football Hall of Fame should honor in some way. The problem is I just
4: don't know how. Clark, there have been 25 players killed in action, mostly in World War II. Were their sacrifice any less than that of Pat Tillman? Their planes were shot down. They were killed by sniper fire. They were killed in jungle warfare. Al Blosus was an NFL all-decade selection in the 40s, left his career to fight in the war, killed scouting enemy lines on the ground in France. Honor Al Blosus. Honor Pat Tillman and the rest of them in Canton with an war in the NFL because of it.
2: Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And you know what? I'm not sure what you guys are going to be doing this Sunday, but me, I'm guaranteed I'm going to be thinking of Pat Tillman. Anyway, up next, we'll be talking the University of Georgia and its best NFL players. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: Hey, before we get to
0: the University of Georgia, I see where
2: former Jet Center, former Jet Center, Nick Mangold, he formerly retired this week. He was a seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and one of the best centers in the business. So... Guys, I'm going to ask you the, the the James Harrison question all over again. Hall of Famer, Goose, Nick
4: Mangold. Well, let's see how long Kevin Mowey is waiting in the queue.
2: <laughs> okay. I mean, no
4: one's moving until we do something with him.
2: <laughs> okay, Ron. That leads to my next question:
3: Nick Mangold or Kevin Mowey? Well, I would say the likelihood that the Jets of all people had back-to-back Hall of Fame setters <laughs> is pretty slim. So, you know, I don't look. I thought he played a lot. I thought he was a good player, um, but I don't think he was a great player. Um, you know, and there's no knock on you being a good player in, in the national football team. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I'd have to do more research, obviously, but I just never sort of had that feeling, you know, when, when you watch them. You didn't come out and say, wow, you see, you saw Devonnie Dawson, uh, for example, uh, you know, you, or you saw Dwight Stevenson in Miami, you didn't have any questions about what you just saw. And I never got that feeling with with Nick.
2: Yeah, of course, you didn't play opposite him either.
3: No, I didn't, but
2: I got eyes in my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Some of those guys who played opposite him still they don't have eyes in their head anymore. They block the daylights out of them. Okay, well let's move south. I mean way south, Iran. Hopefully they have better weather there than we've had the past six months here in the northeast. Man. This is is getting old. Unbelievable. Anyway, we're going to Athens, Georgia, home of, well, R.E.M., if you follow music, but the University of Georgia, if you follow football, the University of Georgia is the subject of this week's conversation of the top college producers of NFL talent. Now, we've visited the universities of Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Penn State, and LSU so far, And, and this week... It's UGA and the University of Georgia, where they're getting plenty of traffic with NFL teams there to work out potential first rounders: Roquan Smith at linebacker, Sony Michelle at running back, and Isaiah Wynn at guard. Now, Goose, there should be particular interest in Michelle, right? I mean, I'm always interested in anything with the words "Sony" interested in attached to it, so somebody else must be too, right?
4: Yeah, without question. When the NFL needs a running back, Georgia becomes one-stop shopping. You know, the Bulls have produced two Hall of Fame runners, Terrell Davis and Charlie Trippi. And Ron wrote a state your case last year arguing the candidacy of Herschel Walker. You know, he holds a professional record for rushing yards in a single season, but he did it with the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. You know, Georgia had seven first-round draft picks at running back. Trippi, Garrison Hurst, Tim Worley, Todd Gurley, Sean Marino, Robert Edwards, and Rodney Hampton. Trippi was the first overall pick of the 1945 draft. Davis was the NFL MVP, and Gurley finished the MVP runner-up to Tom Brady in 2017. You want a runner? Go to Georgia.
2: Yeah, well, Ron, Goose mentioned a guy that, that you're familiar with, and that's and that's Robert Edwards. Now, it, to me, it's really a shame that his career was cut short and really in such a freak accident.
3: Yeah, it was a sad story. I mean, he the guy who rushed for 1,000 yards. He uh, goes to the Pro Bowl, walks out to the beach to play on a little uh, uh Flag football on the beach, and next thing you know, he's rolling on the ground, and his knees blown out, and he's never the same player, uh, and not, not even close to the same uh, player, not a player at all. uh it, it was remarkable. Uh, and he was a good guy, you know, he was a big Tim's young kid, uh, yeah. but you know, seemed like a really good uh, kid with a bright future ahead. And that just shows you, you know, you know the <laughs> I, I want to say to a degree the dangers of football when we're talking about, you know touch football on the beach, uh, but even there, you know, with the, the, the bodies these guys have and the torque and pressure they put on their body, cutting kind of hit it, hit it in the eye, and they can never cut it back. You know, it's a pickup game to them is the same as the Super Bowl. Uh, it was just certainly a, a, a sad, sad uh, ending for a guy. who tried to make a comeback and couldn't do it. And, but, but then to show you, his telling against the Canada uh, a few years later, and he's still, he's still up to, he has enough ability left, and he still rushed for 1,000 yards up there, so that's a pretty talented young man.
2: Yeah, oh, no. In fact, when he went up to the CFL, he ran for over 1,000 yards in successive seasons with Montreal, and he scored 25 touchdowns in those two years. But, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that, that uh, flag football game in Hawaii. I was staying at the hotel right there where they played it, and, and I was at the Pro Bowl. And, and I remember watching the game, and then I just, you know, I went, oh, touch football. So I left, and then I heard about it later. And, and what a sad story. I mean, it, it, that injury was so serious he barely escaped having his leg amputated below the knee, and he was told he might never walk again. But as you mentioned, he did. Of course, he went to Canada and, and he ran again, and he ran through everybody. But needless to say, Ron, that's the last time they played that game at a Pro Bowl. I mean, good idea, right? Oh
3: yeah. Well, I I remember you know when we got the word, uh, you know, back here in New Orleans. like, "What are you talking about?" You know, I mean, it's yeah.
2: just like it.
3: You, you know, you thought it was just a bad joke, you know, for some of the claiming that this happened, and then, of course. Be true.
2: Yeah, well, at least it was happy ending. And, and since we're talking about good things happening to Georgia players, Goose, let's look at the NFL draft. Uh, University of Georgia has had four players selected first overall with Detroit quarterback Matt Stafford, the most recent. Now, he's one of five quarterbacks in NFL history to pass for 5,000 yards in a single season, putting him in a very exclusive fraternity with Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and, yes, Tom Brady. And Stafford wasn't even the best quarterback, as you know, Goose, to come out of Georgia.
4: Yeah, that's because he's following in the footsteps of Hall of Famer Fran Tarkenton. You know, when when he retired after the 78 season, Tarkenton was the NFL's all-time leading passer. He took the Vikings to three Super Bowls, was a 1975 NFL MVP. And, boy, his, his combination of arm and legs was so unique. I think the only quarterback close to that style since then was Steve Young, and he's also in the Hall mm. of Fame.
2: Yeah, you know it, it's funny, Ron, when I mentioned Tom Brady, I'm the guy I had to towel off there. Tom Brady, that's you early to towel off goose, but I had to towel off there with Brady. Hey, yeah, historically, I go back to Georgia. They're a little soft on producing NFL offensive line, but but Ronnie, um, not so their defensive linemen, as you well know. Covered one of their best with New England, friend of the show.
3: Sure, Richard Seymour, who uh, I think has a legitimate. Uh case to be made for the Hall of Fame, whether you can send it not, we'll, we'll see. He uh, was a tremendous player for several years, was considered the best defensive lineman in pro football um, But, you know, they also had a ton of other guys come out of there. Uh, Geno Atkins did a great Pro Bowl defensive tackle for the yep. Bengals. is a terrific right. player. Uh, you know, Marcus Stroud and uh, Jonathan Sullivan, he was kind of not so much, even though he was a top-15 pick. Um, there was Jason Ferguson. It uh, was the nose tackle. Parcells loved, loved enough to take him from the Jets and the Cowboys. Uh, You know, and if you just want a pass rusher, go kill a quarterback. Was always Justin Houston, uh, an outside linebacker who's a three-four rusher. He led the NFL sacks uh, in 2014. So they definitely produce uh, some pretty serious uh, defensive linemen there. Now the Patriots have made the mistake of taking a couple of defensive backs, to which I would say, not so much. Uh, (laughs) But defensive linemen, they will eat you up. (laughs)
2: Pass rushers, Goose. How about pass catchers? I mean, there aren't many colleges can line up two receivers on their all-time team that could match what Georgia has to offer.
4: Yeah, Heinz Ward and A.J. Green would be a perfect complement of possession. Stretch receivers in an offense. You know, Ward caught 1,000 career passes, has been a Hall of Fame semifinalist, and Green's gone to the Pro Bowl each of his first seven seasons in the NFL with the Bengals. You know, Ward retired with 1,200 career receiving errors. Green is now closing in on 10,000. You put those two with either Tarkenton or Stafford, and you'd have one of the best passing attacks ever assembled on a college field.
2: So, guys, who goes into the Hall of Fame first, Hines Ward or AJ Green? Ron.
3: Ooh, ooh, that's a that's a tough pick.
2: Or do or yeah. do either of them make it? Do either of them make it? Well, you know, I, the, the sad
3: thing for them is by the time they get in there, and the other guys have already surpassed their numbers because it's yeah. turning a pinball, you know, uh, out there. Um you know, I like the home run guys, you know, and which would make me lean toward green, but boy Ward was he was tough as ten miles of he detour. I mean he yeah. not only was a great possession receiver, he would block you uh to the point where people would want to fight him. Uh yep. you know, he was a classic Pittsburgh stealer. What's gonna help Ward is he played in a lot uh, uh thus far bigger games and and played well in those games, won championship and uh, as long as uh, A.J. Green is in Cincinnati, I think he will not be playing in big games. <laughs> well will uh, not be playing for championships.
4: Yeah, how many receivers go to the Pro Bowl in each of their first seven seasons? And he's going into oh. his eighth oh. season. He's going oh. to the Pro Bowl every year he's been in the league. Not many receivers do that.
3: <laughs> wow. Yeah, how many guys in any position? I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Good
2: yeah. player, and, and, no one and, and,
4: knows and, that he's in Cincinnati. Yeah, right. That's right. Well, because they
2: don't go to... Playoff games beyond the first one. That's one and done, and that's the problem there. But Heinz uh, Ward, he's got those championships. I love Heinz Ward. Anyway, that's going to do it. You know that song about the midnight train to Georgia, guys? We're catching the midnight train out of there, and we're going straight to draft expert Dane Bruegler right after this. You'll listen to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our next guest, Dave Brugler, is a senior draft analyst for
2: NFLDraftScout.com. And someone I know very well from my days at CBS. And every year he publishes a draft guide that is extraordinarily comprehensive. I mean it. You ought to take a look at it. With with this year, no different. It includes 257 pages, a breakdown of the strengths and weaknesses of the draft's top 450 prospects, or about uh, 200 more than will be drafted, his position rankings, and his top 100 board. And you know what? You can find it via the PDF download at myfootballnews.com. That's myfootballnews.com. It's going to cost you $10, but you'll be glad you did. Hey, Dane. We're just glad we caught up to you. I know you're very busy. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: No, well, of course. I uh, appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate the mention of the draft guide. It's, uh, it's a year-round project for me. I take a lot of pride in the amount of detail included in there, and I think everyone knows about the top prospects, but I think the mid and later rounds is where the guide really flexes its muscles, helps you know, paint a picture of who these guys are. And so uh, for anyone interested, I think the best way, just go to my Twitter, at Brugler. I have the link pinned at the top. Um, it's an automatic PDF download and, and if you like the NFL draft I promise you you will not be disappointed with it.
4: So Dan tell us how you first got involved in the draft and the evaluation of players.
1: Well in football evaluation uh, scouting it's long been my passion uh, I created my first uh, draft book in my college dorm room at Mount Union uh, as a freshman way back when and I, you know I'm blessed to be able to call it my career wasn't sure how far I'd be able to take this uh, started as an Overzealous hobby and over the years of um, and feel like I've been able to learn more and more, uh, whether you're from NFL people, from people in the business. Um, and so if I'm not with my family, uh, you know, I'm married, I have two little kids now. Uh, if I'm not with them, I'm watching tape or doing something draft related uh whether on the road, working the phones, whatever. This is this is what I live for, this is what I work for uh year round. And you know, this is the time of year where it really gets fun because we're uh you know almost a week away and you know there's a lot of uh a lot of noise going on but it's fun to talk about these prospects and where they might end up.
3: At this stage uh Dane, how many twenty eighteen mock drafts uh have you done and are you getting a little tired of that particular part of the process? Yeah, too, too many to count. You know, there's
1: uh, they're a necessary evil because readers enjoy them, you know, and I have to do mock drafts year-round, which is way too many, but there is value to them. And, you know, I think the only mock draft where I really care about accuracy is the last one. You know, I mean, hey, Goose, you know that uh, all too well. Uh, you know, it's something where uh, you know, the days leading up to the draft, that's really all that matters, getting those to try to get as many as those right. Uh, lining up need with what you're hearing, uh, you know, the, the possible marriages. So every other mock draft throughout the year is all about examining scenarios, working through possibilities. So I think it can be overkill at times, uh, especially during the season when, you know, there's we have no idea uh, who's coming out early, the needs in the offseason and all that. But there is a, a rhyme and a reason behind them. NFL teams, they do mock drafts this time of year. They're trying to figure out who's going where. So mock drafts are important enough for NFL teams. They're important enough for me, and I know readers enjoy them.
2: So, Dane, let's cut to the chase. Who's the top-rated player on your board and why?
1: Uh, Quentin Nelson. Uh, To me, he is the best football player in this draft, Uh, the offensive guard from Notre Dame. I think he's a better guard than any other prospect at their respective position. And I'm not saying that Nelson should be the number one overall pick. Uh, you, you have to factor in position value and all that. But to me, he is absolutely worth a top five con- top five consideration. And I don't see him falling out of the top ten picks. He's a mauler. Uh, he moves really smooth. He finishes, competes on every play. And he's ready out of the box. Uh, there's no assembly required with Quentin Nelson. Uh, and not only is he ready, but I think he's ready to compete for Pro Bowls. I mean, very early in his career. Uh, The team that drafts him, they won't regret it. You look around the league, Aaron Donald uh, of the league, you know, the interior uh, disruption guys, you need offensive guards uh, to help protect the pocket. We know quarterbacks, uh, you know, they hate uh, uh, the pass rush from the edges. Even more so, they hate the pass rush from the interior. So you need guards. Uh, And so Quentin Nelson, top five is not too early for him.
4: Dane, during the decades I was working the draft for the Dallas Morning News in the 1990s and 2000s, I'd come up with a favorite player in every draft, someone I just enjoyed watching play the game of football. He might be a first rounder, he might be a fourth rounder, he might be someone who doesn't even get drafted. So, regardless of the of round, who is your favorite player in this draft, and why?
1: You know, you're more disciplined than I am because I don't know how you pick just one. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I'll give you a, a few quick ones. The first one that stands out immediately is Maryland wide receiver DJ Moore. Uh, he's one of my favorites this year. I think the. The Steve Smith comparisons can get a little much at times. You know, if he's smaller and he's competitive and he's fast, you know, he gets the Steve Smith treatment. But I can't help but watch DJ Moore uh, game film and come away seeing those Steve Smith vibes. Uh, And a scout, he actually tipped me off uh, back in in October, November, uh, that he was going to leave early um, out of Maryland. So I dove into the tape. I was really impressed from the get-go uh he's not the biggest guy for an outside receivers just uh just hit that six foot plateau uh but he's physically impressive he's muscled up he's fast good routes strong hands uh, i love his yards after the catch uh, his ability to create both before and after the catch uh, i think the secret's out because his name has really caught fire uh really since the combine when he went out and ran a four-four-two in the 40-yard dash but he is deserving of first-round consideration. On my board, he's in the top 15 overall. Uh, And like I said, I get those Steve Smith vibes. I think honorable mention for this category, uh, I think Ian Thomas, the tight end from Indiana, he belongs in that mix. Uh, To talk about my favorite players, uh, might not be uh, a guy that makes an instant impact as a rookie, but two, three years from now, we'll be talking about Ian Thomas as a steal, uh, second, third, fourth round, wherever he ends up going. Uh, Rashawn Golden, a nickel corner from Tennessee. I love the play speed. I love the toughness. And then Georgia's Roquan Smith. Uh, he's a top linebacker this year. He's simply fun just to watch compete. Uh, I'll, I'll be shocked if he's not one of the top ten players off the board this year.
3: Well, so let's take you out of your seat and put you in a different seat. Uh, if you're sitting in John Dorsey's chair, or a you in the Browns and you have the first pick of the draft, who do you take? Yeah,
1: and you know if you think any of these quarterbacks will be a long-term starter, help you compete for the postseason play, that has to be the pick for Cleveland. And for me, I would go with Sam Darnold out of USC. Uh, At only 20 years old, he shows a lot of what I'm looking for in a quarterback. He anticipates passing windows. He creates off-platform, understands how to deal with pressure, uh, can work out of a difficult situation uh, when the play breaks down. He commands the mental battle that the quarterback faces, uh, down in, down out. He's always in control, does some of his best work, uh, late in games when the lights are the brightest. So does he need to cut down on the turnovers? No question. Uh, and I think that will come. Uh, you can work on the ball security. Uh, I think the interceptions, uh, will cut down, be cut down a little bit. He's very young, uh, not only in age, but just in quarterback years. He played basketball, uh, most of his life. That's where his focus was. Missed all of his junior year in high school with an injury, so really we're talking about his senior year in high school and then two seasons as a starter at USC, where you know he was the guy playing snaps at a high level at quarterback. So there's still plenty for him to learn, but I feel great about where he is right now, and I think I'll feel even better two, three years down the road. He's scheme diverse. I don't think that Cleveland can go wrong. I don't know if he'll live up to being uh, you know a Carson Wentz type of player, but I I don't think Cleveland will be disappointed if they take him at number one.
2: Boy, I tell you what, <laughs> put those words down. I don't think Cleveland can't go wrong at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> you better put That's those words down. Want
3: to do their best at going right. right.
2: Yeah. Oh. We're speaking with draft expert Dane Brugler of NFLDraftScout.com on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at com or on Twitter at, at TalkOfFameNet. And Dane, since we're talking about quarterbacks, um, there are six of them who could conceivably – be first round draft picks. So, how do you stack them, and, and what separates them? Yeah,
1: and Darnold, my top guy. Uh, you know, just covers him a little bit. I think uh, I've gone back and forth between my number two and number three. Uh, I have right now. I've been slotted as Josh Rosen number two, Baker Mayfield number three, and I think it's similar with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson fighting it out for four and five. Um, I think there's a sizable gap before we even mention anybody else. I know Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State. He could sneak into the back half of round one. I think that'd be way too early, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but there's plenty to like about Rosen. I think there's a lot of Matt Ryan to his game. Uh, I think the lack of mobility uh, and the durability concerns uh, that worries me a little bit. He's not going to be for everybody. Uh, you know that's been well documented. Just his personality and all that. Uh, Baker Mayfield, he's a lot of fun. He reminds me a lot of Jeff Garcia, uh, stylistically with the way he plays the game. Uh, I think he faces a pretty big transition outside of that OU offense, uh, which was tailor-made, uh, for him, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Norman. So I think he's an accurate thrower of the football. I think that translates. I think that competitive nature that he has that you don't bet against, he just needs to reel it in a little bit. Uh, Wyoming's Josh Allen, uh, you know, he's scouting catnip. All the physical traits are there—the size, the arm, the athleticism—but uh, he's currently undeveloped in several critical areas of playing the position. Will he get there? Uh, maybe, uh, but he's a tough evaluation because so much of him and what he brings, what he offers right now, is potential-based. And I know that—that basically sums up a prospect. But that would—you know—you better be convinced if you're going to take him top five, possibly number one, depending on which rumors you believe. Uh, with the Browns and then Lamar Jackson, who he's a first round athlete. And I think he has a chance to be better than uh, Mike Vick was in the NFL. It all comes down to consistency, uh, as a passer. Uh, can he improve his mechanics and accuracy? I just, I hope he lands with a team ready to cater the offense to his strengths, RPOs, option plays, let him use his legs. That, that's what makes him so special is that athleticism. Uh, durability will be a factor with him. You know, he's not a guy that, uh, avoids hits at all costs. I mean, he will take some punishment needs to adjust how he finishes at times. So it's going to be fascinating to see how and where these quarterbacks come off the board. You know, good chance we see three or four in the top five. It uh, should be
2: a lot of fun. Dane Brugler, thanks so much for dropping by. And best of luck with that quarterback advice for the Cleveland Browns. You may need it.
4: Best of hey, luck. they, they the got to get one
2: right at, at one of
4: these years, right?
2: <laughs> you right. <laughs> you think so? The odds are of them. Thanks, Dane. Thanks, Dane. That was Dane Brugler of NFLDraftScout.com. Up next, we're going to sit down with a guy who's in the center of everything in New England. And no, that's not all-line gorgeous. This is the Talk of it.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron
2: Borges. Well, David Andrews knows well the long connection between the University of Georgia football program and the NFL because he's one of their most successful recent graduates. Now, David started every game at center over his final three seasons at Georgia before signing with the Patriots as an undrafted free agent in 2015 and he may well be one of the greatest bargains ever because he became an instant starter in his rookie season, taking over for the injured starter, Brian Stork. Now, he beat out Stork the following year, started all but two games since, including the past two Super Bowls, and now is a first-time guest of the Talk of Fame Network. Not bad for a guy who wasn't even invited to the combine. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys.
3: Well, David, you had offers, as I understand, to attend Duke and, and Michigan, but I was told that you were waiting for Georgia to call. And, and when they did, it didn't take you long to uh, sign up. Uh, did any other school ever even have a chance uh, to bring you in?
7: You know, I, I really, I really enjoyed the Duke coaches, um, Coach Cutcliffe and Matt Luke, who was the offensive line coach at the time there, and now is head coach at Ole Miss. And um, those guys were just they were really good to me throughout the recruiting process. Um, I think coach Luke's a heck of a coach. Um, I'm excited to see him get a you know shot at a head coach and I had a lot of respect for those guys. And, uh, you know, but but there was just something about Georgia and, uh, you know, I was born and raised there. And, uh, my grandfather was a huge Georgia fan that I looked up to. And, uh you know, for me, that was always kind of a dream to, you know, go play there. And, uh, you know, once Georgia gave me an offer, I committed on the spot and, uh, You know, really didn't care about any other offers I got.
4: So, David, you started three years at Georgia. You're a team captain, but the NFL doesn't consider you one of the 334 best prospects for the draft, and they don't invite you to the combine. So, first off, how much of a shock was that, and how did you overcome it?
7: Um, You know, I think I prepared myself pretty well, um, you know, with a support system that really didn't, you know, kept me grounded, and, you know, we expected not to get you know, invited to the combine and kind of, you know, even not to get drafted and uh, that's never what you want to hear. You know, but the great thing about the NFL is, uh, you know, there's a hundred other stories like mine and um, thousands of other stories like mine. You know, you can just pull up the statistics every year. Undrafted guys starting in the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, so I I knew that didn't, you know, wasn't the end all be all. Um, Obviously it would have been, you know, a, you know, awesome experience to you know, be invited to that, or be drafted, or you know whatever that may be. But you know, everything happens for a reason, and um, you know I wouldn't have changed my journey um,
2: if I could. Well, speaking about that journey, David uh, Ron tells me that you impressed Bill Belichick during a workout at Georgia's pro day before the draft. What did he put you through? And, and did you have an idea at that time or any time before the draft that the Patriots might take you?
7: You know, um, you know, I actually got to sit down and um, watch film with with coach and uh, you know, I just at the time, you know, I just I was sitting there just like, oh my gosh, he's is, you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time and um, you know, he's sitting here and we're we're watching my college film and he's asking me questions about what I could do better, why our system did this. I mean it was it was awesome and um a little nerve wracking for me a little bit, but an awesome experience and um you know he. he was really honest with me in there. You know, he told me, you know, they obviously drafted a center the year before, and Brian Stork, you know, they weren't going to draft a center this year. You know, but if it you know was able to work out, you know, maybe, you know, we could get a deal done, you know, in free agency or something. And, you know, I respected that. You know, I mean, obviously not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that they would draft me and, you know, I was going to be their first-round pick or whatever. But, you know, sometimes that honesty is just a... You know, that's something that means a lot to people and something I really respected.
3: So, so da- draft day comes, uh, David, and like your uncle, Dan Reeves, no one selection, uh, does being ignored and then proving people wrong, run in the family with you guys? Or, and did you talk to him at all <laughs> about your experience?
7: You know, I mean, it, it's, I you know, I think, I think the system's a great system and, uh, you know, but like anything, there's a lot of flaws in it and, uh, you know, there's a lot of good football players out there that kind of slip through the cracks because maybe they don't look good on paper or whatever but they got a lot of things you can't coach and um you know but there's also guys that get drafted in the first round that still have you know look good on paper and have those things so you know it's just a part of the system and uh you know that's definitely just kind of how it goes but yeah you know he's always been a, a big help to me and uh you know really just encouraging
4: so David here you are you are Walk on, you're starting the season opening against the Steelers. How difficult was it to find yourself snapping the ball to Tom Brady? And did uh, your Uncle Dan give you any advice how to make an impression as an undrafted rookie?
7: No, you know, I mean I think um you know, really it's just, you know you know, he had guys do that, you know, for him for you know, however long it was that he coached, you know, and there's always those guys and uh you know, so yeah, And to me it was just encouraging, you know, to being able to see that as a kid and uh you know, guys that he coached and things like that that, you know, either seventh round draft picks and became starters and, you know, even stars and you know, even undrafted guys. So you know, that was always encouraging to me and uh and that game that was a uh it was a crazy experience, you know, I mean they were coming off that Super Bowl season um the year before with the, you know, banner display that, you know, night. And no, so it was just um a little raining I think it was missing that night uh, so Tom, Tom wanted the balls you know kept dry on my end and you know was just even put a little bit more pressure on it but uh, you know it was an awesome night and uh, you know, I mean it's just something i always remember you know your first start against you know one of the all time great franchises you know two great franchises going at it I mean you can't ask for a better scenario you
4: know it's not often in the NFL you see an undrafted rookie center snapping the ball to a six round draft pick
7: <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially a 6 round draft pick who's you know 20 years older than he. So, uh, yeah, right.
4: <laughs>
7: yeah, I mean, that was you know that was. Uh, I mean, heck, his first Super Bowl, I had a babysitter, so I can tell you how young I was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're speaking of New England's David Andrews on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com. And you can find David in the middle of the Patriots' offensive line as their center. Now, let's face it, David you protect the keys to the kingdom in New England, and that's Tom Brady. How much pressure did you feel when you stepped in for Stork, who was forced out because of multiple concussions, but you're stepping in for a guy who's a starter, and now you've got to protect, of course, in the middle of the line, the best quarterback in the game?
7: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that pressure comes, you know, more from yourself and, you know, outside sources and, um you know, not really from him. You know, he does a great job. He's a great teammate. And, you know, people think, you know, all oh, quarterbacks, you know, can't show toughness. You know, they can't run around and hit anybody. Well, you know, a quarterback's tough when he sits back there and, you know, a 300-pound man's running down his throat. And he gets that ball off, takes a hit under the chin, and gets back up. And, you know, he's not sitting there yelling at you or anything like that. So that's always encouraging. Um, You know, and, you know, I think that says a lot about him as a teammate you know, but yeah, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself and you know as offensive lineman, I think anyone you carry that pressure, no matter who's back there. Um, you know, that guy's really trusting you to throw a wall up in front of him and uh you know, anytime you let that guy down, you know, it just it kind of stings you a little bit. Um, you know, it happens and you know those the great quarterbacks, you know, they get up and brush it off and they keep going and uh you know, he's done that a lot, you know, a lot of times and uh that definitely, you know, encourages you and means a lot to you.
3: So you start, uh, t- you know, 10, 11 games, uh, your first year, uh, by the end of the season, uh, you were playing you, you, all over the place. You played guards, you played fullback. Uh, you get to the championship game a year later. Um, you know, it's typical of the NFL storks out of football because of his uh, concussion issues. You're the starter again. And next thing you know, you're in the greatest Super Bowl comeback in, in history. Everybody knows the story down 25 points with 22 minutes to go. Uh, and everyone talks about David, how you wore down the Falcons defense running 93 plays in the game, 546 yards and, and all of that. Uh, but I always wonder, how come you didn't get worn down? How come the offense doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get worn down? 93 plays, you're playing in them too, aren't
0: you?
7: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's always been weird to me because, you know, D-linemen are rotating in. You know, I mean, even at you know, college, you see that, you know, these guys rotate in and out. Uh, you know, they're playing, you know. Know, reinforce the reps, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you got these edge guys that stay out there a good bit, and, you know, but man, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a hat off to, you know, our whole football team, the way we worked, um, the way we just busted our tail and conditioned and, you know, just had that mental toughness. And, uh, you know, sometimes it happens like that. I can't explain it. Uh, I mean, I bet if I could find the answer, I could make a lot of money with the solution, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know it's uh that is weird. I've never really noticed i mean I've never really sat down and thought about it that much, but uh I think that was something just played an advantage to us with our conditioning
3: what did you What does it feel like when you when you wake up the next day after playing ninety three plays I know you won the game, so you're obviously going to be uh, pretty happy about that, but physically, what do you feel like the morning after you've played ninety three snaps? Yeah, I think that's
7: a little bit of a loaded question. I think after winning the Super Bowl, you don't feel anything uh I mean you know if we had gone out there and lost, I felt I feel like we'd have woken up a lot worse, but uh I mean, honestly, I didn't even sleep after the game. it was just kind of so many emotions and you know just unreal stuff and uh it was it was a crazy whirlwind, um you know, and uh it really just honestly didn't feel it i mean it was just. You know, you didn't have to go to work the next week. You know, you're, you're relaxing, you're sleeping, whenever you want to. And, um, uh, you know, I think you felt it more um, emotionally and um, mentally. You know, just drained, just exhausted. It, you know, it was just a whirlwind of a season. You know, uh you know, 19 games or whatever it is. And, um,
5: right.
7: you know, I think I think just mentally and emotionally and all that all that stuff you put into it, um. You know, it's just nice to take a deep breath and just you know relax for a second.
3: Do you think at all, or did you think at all how long it walk it was from Georgia, uh, not going to the combine, not getting drafted, and two years later you're, you've got a Super Bowl ring? Did it strike you at all that man, this is this this is a long walk, and it happened in a hurry.
7: I mean, yeah, you know, it's just I've been so fortunate, I mean, you know, I've. uh you know, I've got to play in three AFC championships, two Super Bowls. You know, I mean, people play 12 years and get the chance to play in one AFC championship sometimes. You know, so I've just been so blessed. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of fell into a great situation here in New England and was able to take advantage of some opportunities. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, it's just a huge blessing. And, uh it was a lot of hard work, and um, you know a lot of people that helped me along the way and supported me, so um, you know just hope to keep it rolling.
4: Bill Murray would call you a Cinderella story if someone told you when you left Georgia this all would happen inside of three years, super Bowls, team captain C, big money contract extension would you have believed it
7: uh, you know I, I think I would want to believe it, you know, I think I've always kind of bet on myself and you know figured I could do things um you know even when people said I couldn't but. I think it's still just hard to believe. Sometimes, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's, it's just it's hard to believe when you take back and humble yourself for a little bit and just you know look at it and look where you are. You know, I mean, this is what you you dreamed of doing as a you know six year old kid the first time you touched the football um, and found out people can make a living playing a game. Um, you know, so I'm just so fortunate and you know, so I think I think I would have bet it on myself, but uh, I don't know if I could. I could have
2: guessed this. David Andrews, thanks so much for the time. We're the ones who are fortunate. We got you. Thanks very much, and best of luck with the season.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thanks, David. Right. Thanks, David. That was weekend, Senator David Andrews. Up next, it's a two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: Well, we're nearing the finish line, so somebody cue up the guy with the whistle. That's the two-minute Yep, that means it's time for the two-minute drill, so let's get going. Retired offensive lineman Richie Incognito says, quote, I just want to be in the Hall of Fame, unquote. What are his chances?
4: It depends which Hall of Fame he's talking about. Set the bar low, Richie. Set it low.
3: I would say it depends on whether or not he's got 25 bucks. he does, he's in. For a day.
2: <laughs> the Athletic SF needs a name for its Raiders podcast. A good one for you, Ron. Any ideas?
4: Mr. Gruden's Neighborhood. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, including the Raiders.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Bryce Harper's broken bat home run is comparable to what in the NFL?
4: Tony Dorsett's 99-yard touchdown run with one shoe. Oh, good one.
3: David Tyree's look, my no hands helmet catch.
2: <laughs> oh, no good one. If an American woman can win the Boston Marathon for the first time in 33 years, why can't
4: the Browns win a Super Bowl? Try Mary Kay Cab a quarterback, and let's find out. <laughs> they got going in Cleveland.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the Browns aren't interested either. How come?
4: He's 30 years old this season, and the arrow is pointing down.
2: They need solutions.
3: Problems they already got.
2: This weekend March Earth Day, guys. How should the NFL celebrate it?
4: Keep the football on the ground and draft more running backs.
3: Take the earth and bury Thursday night
2: football like it. What can Geno Smith do for the Chargers that he couldn't do in New York?
4: Applaud more often for TD passes by the starting quarterback. <laughs> he can
3: chip in by dragging Philip Rivers up from, from San Diego every day.
2: <laughs> nice one. Gary Plummer calls the new NFL tackling rule, quote, a joke, unquote. What do you call it?
4: A mistake.
3: A headache, but not a cure for one.
2: How did Ndamukong Sue convince Ethan Westbrook to give him his number thirty-three? Not thirty-three. How about ninety-three?
4: The old Pro Bowl trump card. Sue has five. Westbrook has none.
3: I think he just showed him a video of himself stepping on Aaron Rodgers and kicking that job in the private. That's the beginning.
2: That would do it. We'd like to thank John Fossil, Dane Brugler, David Andrews, and Michael Hare for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, that'd or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.